Hello and welcome to the second of a three-part series on latest atopic dermatitis treatments from MedThority. In this podcast, experts Professor Jacob Thyssen and Professor Andreas Wallenberg will discuss the latest monoclonal antibody treatments. Hello everyone, my name is Professor Jacob Thyssen. I'm from the University of Copenhagen in Denmark and I'd like to give you a warm welcome to this podcast on the evolving treatment landscape of atopic dermatitis, where we today will discuss monoclonal antibodies. And with me today, I have Professor Andreas Wallenberg uh, of both Munich and Brussels universities, uh, a true European uh, beacon in atopic dermatitis research and clinical activities, being the first author of the European Task Force of Atopic Dermatitis Guideline and really um, a leader in the field for decades. So welcome, uh, Professor Wallenberg or Andreas, as I will call you here, uh, to this podcast. Thank you for the nice introduction, Jacob. Okay, so so we're really here to discuss the monoclonal antibodies in atopic dermatitis. And what we've seen is that most of the companies that have been active in this uh, therapeutic area they have first uh, developed and trialed their molecules in adults and then later uh, moved it down to adolescents, children, and now infants. But today we will focus mostly on adult uh, uh, biologics and uh, dupilumab has been out there for a very long time now, since 2017-18 in most countries. And there's a long experience with that molecule I'll say that lately I have seen, you know, four-year uh, drug or, uh, you know, extended um, safety data, and it really is a tremendous molecule, efficacious, and it has a, uh, a favorable safety profile. But I'll just leave that for now, and then I'd rather ask you, uh, Andreas, because you have been part of the, the clinical uh, development program of Chalokinumab, and what can you say about this, this uh, molecule and its approval status and, and perhaps something about its mode of action? Well, uh, tralokinumab is also a biologic, a monoclonal antibody, but it does not bind the receptor for IL-13 and IL-4, but the cytokine IL-13 itself. So uh, it also interferes with a pathway, the same pathway in part as the dupilumab does, but it is a drug that uh, is more specific to the cytokine that is relevant to the atopic dermatitis skin. We must know that there is about 1,000 times more IL-13 present in the skin than IL-4. So blocking that cytokine alone um, is a very attractive uh, working hypothesis, which has been proven true by many clinical trials. Thanks for making that so accurate, because I have been following this field, and, and when map came out, we really appreciated the combined IL-4, IL-13 inhibition. But what you're saying, and this is also the impression I get from looking at clinical trial data, is that targeting IL-13 itself may actually be perhaps an advantage and a more, if you will, clean cut into the AD pathophysiology, or am I completely wrong here? No, that is uh, exactly uh, the correct way to look at it. Um, the dupilumab uh, has the advantage of also um, influencing the IL-4 pathway, which may make sense if a patient has comorbid asthma, asthma bronchial. But uh, if it's for the atopic dermatitis as such, 
it is the most specific way to go along. And if we look at the side effect profile of the trilokinumab compared with other drugs, uh, we see that it has an extremely good safety profile. Um, actually, according to uh, my survey of all safety data, it would be uh, the drug that has um, the most favorable safety profile available of those ones licensed for atopic dermatitis. Thank you. Thank you for addressing this, and I will loop back to that in, in a few minutes. But I just want to uh, keep our attention for a while on the pathophysiology of AD. And I think how we are increasingly learning about what cytokines are, are important uh, as we see the interventions here in clinical trials. So IL-13 and 4, I think uh, you, you nicely covered those. Then we have IL-31, we have IL-5. Could you just share a few words around those cytokines and their possible relevance in, in atopic dermatitis management? Uh the IL-31 uh, has been known since some years, and many people uh, refer to it as the itch cytokine because it is uh, strongly involved in the pathway of itch uh, in atopic dermatitis and in the skin. So blocking it uh, has primarily an effect uh, that is antiprioritic and this makes it a very attractive um, a target pathway because there is um, because there is an antibody that is uh, blocking the IL-31 receptor. Uh, it's in phase three. It's not licensed yet, uh, but it uh, is very promising for uh, atopic dermatitis, especially if there is a lot of itch, and for prurigo nodularis. So. Uh, here we would go along, and there is a few other effects because the receptor is also present on keratinocytes. Um, so it's not just itch. There is other uh, effects as well um, that um, are important. The IL-5 is a cytokine uh, that is essential for eosinophil recruiting. Um, so uh, anything that blocks the IL-5 uh, pathway would lower the eosinophils but the effects of blocking only IL-5 in clinical trials with atopic dermatitis have not been uh, as successful as the other drugs that we have now available. No, and, and just to round that up, I think actually there is a clinical trial with IL-5 inhibition, uh, which is underway, and, and it'll be so exciting to see the outcome because I really feel that we learn more about the disease mm -hmm. from these clinical trials. Okay, so thank you. Let's try to look back to trilokinumab. And, and I, just to repeat a bit what you said, the safety profile is unique, if you will. Uh, there's a bit of conjunctivitis uh, in, in, in patients treated with, uh, with trilokinumab, but really even compared to dupilumab, and, and I know we, we're not allowed to, to, to make these comparisons between two trials unless we have head-to-head -head data, but it seems to be a safer molecule really than dupilumab. But what about efficacy, Andreas? What do you, where would you put it in the treatment landscape uh, in comparison, for example, to dupilumab and perhaps also to some of the other medications in, in atopic dermatitis? Well, it is clearly um, effective. It is clearly working. It is licensed for atopic dermatitis, therefore. It is not the fastest of all possible drugs for atopic dermatitis. So it's a drug that 
needs some weeks in order to get the full effect. And um, if you have a longer time to treat, uh, even more and more additional patients uh, will reach targets of EZ75, which is one of the standards nowadays. So um, it is a drug uh, with a very, very good safety, but it is not the fastest of all possible uh, drugs. Um, it has less um, side effects uh, regarding uh, conjunctivitis, and it is extremely safe regarding a laboratory um, values, especially if we compare with the traditional immunosuppressants, um, some of them are licensed like cyclosporin, or if we compare with the genus kinase inhibitors. So here, um, all the Th2 blocking agents uh, have a very big advantages and in all that group, the trelokinumab uh, currently seems to be the one that has uh, even less um, probability to have that conjunctivitis problems. Those are very good points. That's just one thing I, I think is important to emphasize uh, to our clinical listeners out there is that when I look at the uh, the efficacy data of trilocinumab, we seem to have we seem to have I won't call it a super responder group, but there is a small group, let's say about a third of the patients that do very well in trilocinumab. You know obtaining easy 90 uh, treatment responses, but it takes months. And I really think when you're a prescribing clinician, what you should do is, you know, share the, um, the, um, the clinical data, which tells you that the patient and you have to be very patient and sometimes wait months before you see the full effect of trilocinumab. So, and also along that line, Andreas, I want to I want to ask you. So we have different classes. We have biologics. We have JAG inhibitors. Say you have a patient that failed dupilumab. Will you then would it then be meaningful to put the patient on trilocinumab, or would you switch class to a JAG inhibitor? Um, I think that is a patient individual decision. It uh, is largely affected uh, by the patient's comorbidity uh, by the patient's uh, drugs that are being taken already for some other disease. Um, it is uh, dependent on the reason why you want to um, switch. Um, so in the end, uh, you cannot predict uh, to 100% what it is. We do not have like a bool pathway uh, in logics where you say you everybody should get once this is failed to um, cytosporin or to a JAK inhibitor, but the decision must be done if you say no, we do not continue with let's say dupilumab, we must check of the remaining options <coughs> what to take. And these options are increasing all the time. Um, so it makes sense to try uh, the trilocinumab. Uh, we know that uh, a number of people who uh, failed on dupilumab uh, would be tried on trilocinumab. Um, if it is um, a reaction where on target uh, problems are occurring uh, because a Th2 blocker does what it should do, uh, then it may be a good idea to check another principle. Um, to work, for example, a JAK inhibitor, but it's an individual decision. 
Yeah, that, that's really good advice. I think also from, from the few data we have seen, we, we can tell that, for example, aparacitinib will work in, in uh, you know, uh, those that didn't respond to the map from, from the Jade Compare into the Jade Extend study. And I also know that, that Leo has uh, cases of patients where trilokinumab works in, in dupilumab failure. So, so I also think the field is open, discuss it with the patient and then find the best treatment solution. Absolutely. Um, then just, you know, as you said, nemolizumab, the IL-31 inhibitor will likely come to market. Or is there anything we need to remember or be aware of as clinicians in terms of safety? We had in the published phase two trials some um, enigmatic points that uh, have not largely have not been confirmed uh, in the uh, in the uh, other trials that would be running after this. So. Um, I think the most important point is that the IL-31 would not be known to positively influence a comorbid asthma bronchiale. So um, if we have a patient who has asthma and uh, there is uh, the nemolizumab started, uh, we cannot expect it to uh, positively influence uh, the lung problems. So uh, people should continue with their asthma medication. I think that's the most important message. Um, and we had a few um, people who would have a peripheral edema. This is not well understood. Um, it is low frequency um, and it has not been confirmed in some other trial. So the question is, uh, how much does it, um, does it really exist? Um, and what is to expect it here. So here we have to wait for the phase three data, uh, which is not published yet. So um, it seems to be uh, a pretty safe drug, actually uh, playing in the range uh, of the other biologics for AD. And these are uh, much better regarding safety if we compare, let's say, with the TNF inhibitors. Uh, where you uh, always have the problem with screening uh, for tuberculosis and a number of other diseases, uh, which is not needed uh, with the TH2 blockers. No, thank thank you for sharing this, and I know you have been uh, you know exposed to the data to a much higher degree than I. And I just want to supplement that you know as an outsider looking at the phase two and, and three data, it the trial designs are a bit complicated because some study itch, some study AD, and as you say. Um, you know, there is this, is there a, an increased risk of asthma in the phase two design, or is that, you know, the consequence of various doses and perhaps a U-shaped pattern efficacy um, window, or what is it? I just think that what's happening now with a nice phase three trial, uh, we will learn much more. And, and you know, for me as a clinician, it's, it's a bit uh, still an early phase before I know exactly where Nemolizumab will help my patients, but but I'm sure we'll learn more from that. Um, then then one final thing uh, before we wrap up, uh, unless you have something you 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 want me uh, to discuss, that would be uh, a bit back to the relative um, uh, efficacy of these new drugs. And I mean, we don't have head-to-head -head data, so this is just what is your impression of efficacy among the the you know. 
the three biologics we have discussed, and then knowing that you, you have seen the Liberticumab data at the AAD, what is your um, take on this? Well, the Liberticumab is a drug that uh, will come to the market probably quite soon. It is a drug that is uh, relatively similar to the Trilokinumab in that it also uh, binds the cytokine IL-13, but there is uh, a little difference in the place where it binds and therefore the association to other receptors like decoy receptors may be different. So <laughs> coming from that background, um, there will be uh, some differences and the data that has been shown um, puts the Libricizumab um, in uh, the range relatively close to the Dupilumab. But always with the caveat that this is um, a meta-analysis and the patient populations are not exactly the same. Uh, the second thing that we can clearly say is um, that the Janus kinase inhibitors show their efficacy uh, for itch already one or two days after the first dose and they improve the lesions much faster than the Th2 blocking agents do. So um, for acute intervention, it would make much more sense to uh, go for a Janus kinase inhibitor. Um, and the second thing is that uh, if you take um, a high dose of those Janus kinase inhibitors, then you would uh, have a higher total effect size. So um, because you are blocking more um, biological pathways, um, but also to the cost of a safety profile that needs to check, for example, uh, for tuberculosis, that needs to check a liver and a kidney enzymes, um, there we have a higher total efficacy if we take the full dose. Um, otherwise, um, all of these drugs are um, effective, significantly effective, um, and we always have to wait uh, safety and efficacy, and also the price that comes with them. Um, what I see is that uh, most of the traditional immunosuppressants will not be used in a few years anymore. We see it already in the registries, in the real world data. Um, cyclosporin um, may probably stay as a drug for acute intervention if other things fail. And methotrexate will probably stay as a drug that uh, is extremely cheap and stable in the heat. So it's perfect for any country uh, where there is little money in the healthcare system. We need those drugs as well. Thank you. Thank you, Andreas. This was so interesting. And I, I, I could go on for another hour listening uh, and discussing this. But we have to, to wrap up now. And I want to thank our listeners. Uh, to me, at least, I think some of the, the, the main points here from our discussion is that it's really still busy in atopic dermatitis treatment landscape. We have now two biologics approved, tralokinumab and dupilumab 
trilokinumab really um, is an effective molecule, great safety profile. You have to be a bit more patient uh, before you see a treatment response, and, and this needs to be shared with the patient. And then we discussed IL-31 inhibitor, nemolizumab, probably coming soon, and lipricizumab, another IL-13 inhibitor, also having had the uh, phase three trial uh, readout, and uh, hopefully soon we'll see that uh, in, the, uh, in the clinic. So I want to thank all the listeners again, and then uh, I'll just uh, recommend that you can go to the learning zone on MET, authority.com if you want to learn more. Thank you, Andreas. Thank you, all the listeners. Have a nice day. Thank you for listening. Please join us again for our next episode, where Professor Jacob Thyssen is joined by Professor Diego Torres to discuss the integration of new atopic dermatitis treatments into clinical practice.